So this is from a recorded talk. So we sit in meditation now and establish our mind and our bodies in an upright posture um, with the right leg over the left, uh, the right hand placed upon the left palm. And then we establish our awareness, our mindfulness with the in and out breath and uh, try to keep our awareness um, here with the breath and uh, with listening uh, to the Dhamma as well at the same time. And this is the practice of meditating while listening to the Dhamma. So in practicing the Dhamma, it's not that we just do that when we're sitting in meditation or when we're doing walking meditation. In whatever posture we take up, if our minds have mindfulness, then we have this, cra- uh, this quality of recollection. And when we're recollecting in the right way with mindfulness, then at that time we're practicing the Dhamma. But whenever our mindfulness is lacking, when it's not there, then at that time we're not practicing the Dhamma. Our practice of the Dhamma has been interrupted. So therefore the important thing is mindfulness. Um, having mindfulness there, recollecting the sati. So what's important is this quality of sati, of mindfulness, um, or recollection. It's another way of translating it. And then there's uh, sampajanya, this all-round knowing. So sati is that which is able to stop the flow of the defilements of the kilesas. And so it's similar to like a dam wall, and that wall stops the flow of the water and stops it from going and damaging the fields and houses and villages, causing much destruction. And so we also need to have a mindfulness here as well. And this is why the Buddha said that mindfulness is a quality that gives us great benefits. And if we are lacking in mindfulness, um, then whatever we do, it won't really give us much benefit. So mindfulness in terms of the Buddha-sasana, the Buddha's teachings, is right mindfulness, the sati, this right recollection. So we see that when we study, when we work, we need to be mindful of what we're doing. Now we need to have mindfulness over the state of uh, or the situation that we're in. And it's just normal that we have this kind of mindfulness and that we need it in order to succeed in our work and in our studies. But when we come to practice, what we're doing is we're developing mindfulness to be even better than this, the kind of mindfulness that can allow us to gain knowledge of truth. We see that normally throughout the day, we don't have this mindfulness there with our bodies or with our minds. So like our movements of body, the way we move around or the posture that we take, we do these things normally, but normally our mind isn't really there. It doesn't know what's going on. We are moving about, but our minds are someplace else. They're doing other things. And so the mind gets sent out very quickly. It's very fast in its movements. 
um, it moves with great speed. And we see that we receive these sense impressions through the six sense uh, organs very quickly. And these all get sent into the mind. So each of these sense impressions, each sight, each sound, each taste, these all come in a sequence, um, but there's just one that comes at a time. They arrive one at a time, but they come in very quickly. A form comes in through the eye, then a sound comes in through the ear, and then we gain a taste through the tongue. The body feels a kind of tactile sensation. And these arise um, very fast. And uh, so the mind gains knowledge of these. These get sent to the mind. And so therefore we need to train our mindfulness to be quick as well, uh, so that it will also know these things as they're happening. That when the eye sees a form, well, the eye itself is a kind of form, and the thing that it's seeing, that's also a form. And so we have the form of the sense organ, which is a part of the body, and then the sight that we're perceiving, that's also a form as well. And so both of these are rupa, both of these are form, but the feeling of seeing, that is nama, that's a mental phenomena. And then when we see something, then um, sanya, this memory comes up, we remember what it is that that image is. We remember whether we like it or whether we dislike it. So this memory comes up that I like that thing or I don't like that thing. And then from that, the mind responds with different emotions. So we get angry with it or we love it or we fear it. And that's due to the memory that appears. So there's Vedana that comes up as well whether it's pleasant or unpleasant, this appears. And uh, sankharas, these uh, mental formations, they come up immediately as well. And then vinyana, the sense consciousness, appears to uh, receive and know these things. And so within all of this, then physical and mental things have appeared already. Uh, when the eye sees a form, um, then both Nama and Rupa appear, and they all come up with regards to self. It's all concerned with self, and so a self arises here as well. So the Buddha taught us to have mindfulness, to have mindfulness there knowing and receiving these things, and also mindfulness there to be cautious, because the defilements arise at the point where contact appears that a form comes in through the eye or a sound comes in through the ear, etc. And here is where the defilements arise. So they come in, or the, these are the external sense media, and then they contact with the internal sense organs. So these inner sense organs are the eye, um, the ears, the nose, the tongue, the body, and also the mind itself. So these outer things contact the inner things and then they get sent to the heart and then feelings arise. Kilesas arise here, right here in the present moment. So we have to have mindfulness, recollecting and knowing here in the present moment as well, having this all-round knowing here. Because this is the place where Dhamma can also arise. 
we can see the Dhamma right here. So we need to be cautious, need to bring up a lot of mindfulness. And we see that, or at least in Thailand, with the Thai language, um, that if someone's gone a bit kind of crazy, then they're said to be lacking mindfulness. And um, so if someone doesn't have this mindfulness, if we say that that person's lacking mindfulness, then they can do pretty harmful things. They can cause damage to their own bodies or the bodies of others. Anger can arise really quickly and they can lose all sense of morality. And why is that? It's because they're lacking in mindfulness. So this mindfulness is the foremost path and it's one that we need to walk along and train ourselves in. Having this recollection, whether we're standing, walking, sitting, lying down, whether we're listening, we're speaking, we're thinking, and try to keep our mindfulness there and try to keep it present. And do this during um, the day, throughout our lives, knowing what the movements of the body are. And when we do this, then what we're doing is training in mindfulness. And our mindfulness gets better as we train with it. So Lumpur Chai, he gave the simile to it being like water in a vessel. And we tip that, uh, and the water drops out. But these drops come in separate drops. So initially it may be five minutes between each drop. But as we carry on practicing, then maybe it's four minutes in between, and then the intervals are three minutes, two minutes, until eventually it becomes one steady flow. So it's the same with our mindfulness, when it becomes better, when we get more mindfulness, then that mindfulness, that sati, it connects together. All the separate moments of mindfulness connect together into a steady stream. So in order to have this mindfulness, we also need samadhi well established. And we see that all these factors of sila, samadhi and banya, um, of virtue, Um, collectedness and wisdom, they all gather together. And this is the path that we walk. And there was no one who was able to find this path other than the Buddha, that he was the first that discovered this way of sila, samadhi and banya, this noble eightfold path. Or he also discovered the four noble truths. He could find these things, no one else was able to do that. Even though they had very deep jhana, Um, incredibly deep meditation, even though many of them had very strong psychic powers. They hadn't gained this knowledge of the path that leads away from the defilements. No one was able to find that. And it was the fully self-awakened Buddha who could do that. And so all Buddhas, they have to build up their bharami, their spiritual virtues, first. And when they are building up their bharami, we call them bodhisattvas. And these are beings who have minds which are intent on awakening. They have that aim, that focus for awakening. And they don't just gain this awakening for themselves. It's not just to gain to freedom from suffering for oneself, but it's for all beings as well so that oneself gets freedom from dukkha, and all beings find freedom from dukkha. If our Buddha wished to gain 
freedom from suffering just for himself. He could have done that a long, long time before he did. Uh, Because his barami was already full. And all that would have required was the thought and the wish to come up to um, attain to arahantship. And then from that wish, it would just require one uh, dharma teaching, just listening to one teaching. And then he would have realized arahantship. But his barami was very full. And so he had this great pity for beings, these beings that are stuck in the cycle of samsara, stuck cycling around between birth and death. And he felt that, or could see, that if no one told them, no one showed them the way to the end of suffering, then they wouldn't be able to get there. They wouldn't be able to find that freedom from suffering. And so this is what made him set his firm intention uh, to reach Buddhahood. So all beings, all Buddhas rather, establish this wish. And this is from the boundless compassion that's there within their hearts. This great compassion that has no end to it. We see that if the Buddha hadn't awakened like he did, then there'd be no one to teach us. And we wouldn't know this path. We are beings with just small amounts of barami. And so we wouldn't get to know this path to practice. We wouldn't be able to find a way out of samsara. Uh, Because when a sight comes in through the eye, or a sound comes in through the ear, etc., then a sense of self arises here. And there's always the sense of self ever since we were born. And this just carries on until we die. And we just live life in this way, without knowing a path out. And we're just like blind people. And someone who's blind and lost, where are they going to go to? And so we can try it out for ourselves, just there in our houses, and try closing our eyes for one hour. And what are we going to do? And that's even though we're in our own houses, and we know what our houses are like, we're very familiar with them. But if we're blind, then we can't do things correctly. If we close our eyes, then how are we going to go to the bathroom? How are we going to eat? How are we going to cook? How are we going to do all the things that we normally do in our lives? And it's very difficult. So that's talking about being blind with regards to our eyes. But what about being blind with regards to our hearts? That our hearts have this avijja within them. So we could say that avijja is darkness, or we could say that it's also delusion. And so our minds just aren't there with our bodies, and so they're blind. We take these bodies and we see them as being me, as being mine. We view them in this light, and that shows that our hearts are blind. But if our hearts have brightness and clarity to them, if there's mindfulness there that arises, then we'll see the body in a different way. We'll see that the body is something that we just depend upon temporarily, and that one day it will have to die. And we'll gain this real, sincere knowledge within our hearts that this body does have to die. It does have to get old, it does have to sicken, it does have to pass away. And this isn't just a surface-level knowledge 
that comes just from listening to something or reading something or just thinking about something. But it's a real inner knowledge that I will have to die. And that when I die, then what can I take with me from this world? That this world is something that we just live in temporarily. It's like a house that we've rented. And when the owner of that house asks for us to move out, then we've got to move out. We've got to give it back to them. And these bodies are the same. We rent them temporarily from this world. We take the oxygen of this world so that these bodies are able to survive. We take its heat, we take its earth, we take its water. So we borrow this world temporarily, but one day we have to give it back. One day the cells of the body deteriorate toward a point where the body breaks apart where this earth element, the water elements, the fire and the air elements, they all break apart. So this shows that we just depend and reside in this body temporarily. And so we need to come and study it, we need to come and contemplate it, that this body is just something temporary. In no long time it will break apart following its causes and conditions. And when that's the case, then what do we do? When we have this life, normally our mind comes and attaches to it. But if we live our lives and reach the end of our lives without having created any goodness, we're putting ourselves in a very risky situation because we may well go to a bad place. So while we still have life, while we still have breath, we should use that to cultivate goodness, to cultivate merit. And merit is something which is light. A papa, this demerit, it's something which is heavy. So people who are deluded, they don't have any interest or concern in practicing. Um, they just do a lot of harmful acts, and they just carry on doing this, and their hearts become more and more heavy due to all the things that their minds attach to. And their greed, hatred, and delusion just builds up and collects, grows and grows. But if the greed, hatred, and delusion reduces, then the heart becomes lighter. So we see that our physical bodies, they have weight to them. Maybe we weigh 50 kilograms, 60, or 70 kilograms, and they all have weight there. So we see that if we develop our mindfulness, and we take our mindfulness to look at the breath, to observe the in-breath and the out-breath, and the mind becomes firm in samadhi, then a feeling comes up that the body is very light. And sometimes it feels like this body doesn't have any weight whatsoever. Why is that? It's because the mind has stopped attaching to the body. When the mind doesn't attach, then both the body and the mind itself feel very buoyant. And here in this state, we can get to observe reality. That this body is something temporary, it's something that's stressful, that's unstable, and that is not self. When we have mindfulness, then wisdom will arise. When mindfulness arises, then wisdom comes. But when our mindfulness is in a turmoil, then wisdom just isn't there. And when we don't have mindfulness, then many, many problems come up. So therefore, when we receive a sense impression through the six sense organs, 
we must be cautious, we must be mindful. And if we're not, if we're not cautious, we're not mindful, then things can really turn into a mess. A lot of chaos can arise. We can just follow our own ways and not give in, don't accept anything else. A lot of conceit can arise, a great sense of self and ego can come up here, and things can really get out of hand. Our households turn into um, a mess, they turn chaotic. Our societies become chaotic. But if we practice the Dhamma, the teachings of the Buddha, then things get better. The Buddha was one who had good eyesight, who had good eyes. So we should come to recollect his goodness, the great compassion that he had, the wisdom that he had, this wisdom which allowed him to destroy the defilements, that his mind was freed from these kilesas. And so his eyesight was good already. There was brightness there within his heart. And so he took this knowledge that he gained to teach us. So he taught for us to abandon harmful acts, to give rise to skillful deeds, and to make the mind pure. And this is the very heart of Buddhism. So the Buddha taught this, the heart of the Buddha's teachings, the teachings of all Buddhas. So for us being born into this life, It's natural that there will be these defilements there, and these defilements will try to make us um, do harmful deeds. But we should really try to give this up. Anything which isn't good, anything which is harmful, anything which gives rise to suffering, which makes the mind ill at ease, which harms ourselves, which harms others, we try and abandon that, we don't do it. And then there's bringing skillfulness to completion and making the mind bright and radiant. And so we build up this goodness. When we build up goodness, when we do skillful deeds, then that's what makes the heart bright. It's like we listen to the Dhamma like we are now. You have the opportunity on the Lunar Observance Days or Saturdays or Sundays to come to the monastery. You take the five precepts or perhaps the eight precepts for one day. And some people, they arrive with their entire family Even though they have duties like this, they have their family to take care of. Uh, But they bring their children to the monastery, and they bring, bring the whole family to create merit as well. So we should do this. We should create this merit. We should try to abandon the things which should be abandoned. And we do that through mindfulness. And keeping mindfulness there with our hearts. And we know what our minds are doing throughout the day. Do they have greed? Are they angry? Are they deluded? Is there a sense of self that's coming up? And we watch over our minds, trying to look after them. Anything that's not good, we abandon that. Things that are good, we put those into practice. And this is what makes the mind pure. In its normal state, there's greed, hatred and delusion which appears within the mind. And this is what creates darkness. And the mind here has a sense of self. So we need to purify it. And that purification process happens through the generosity, the virtue and the meditation that we do. This is what makes our minds better, what makes them clean, what brings them vipassana, this clear knowing, clear knowledge. And this is something that we can do. 
giving the mind knowledge, allowing us to see these truths of instability, of stress, of not-self. How all physical and mental things are this way. And these knowledges arise through a peaceful mind, bringing the mind to peace. And when the mind has been brought to this state, then we know that all material things are unstable, they're all suffering, they're all not-self. All of these things are just conventions. They don't have, or we can't find, a being, a self, or an other within them. Here the mind gains purity. And uh, this is where the mind changes lineage. So during the Buddha's time, there were many who could see in this way. But now things have changed. The world is more developed than it was before. During the time of the Buddha, Venerable Anuruddha, he had um, the divine eye, and he could see the entire world within the palm of his hand. He could know, just by looking at his hand, exactly what was happening. But now we have the internet, and all of us are able to see the entire world. But our minds aren't ready for this. They don't have enough wisdom, they don't have enough mindfulness. And yet, they're receiving all of these sense impressions, so much information. And when they do that, then there's no peace to our minds. It's just too much. It creates all this chaos. Because we're watching all this news, we're listening and seeing all these things, how this person is beating that person, how um, this, this person's killing another person, how these things are happening in the city, in this country, we're able to know all of these things. And when we know all of these things, when we receive all of this information, all of these sights and sounds, then how is our mind possibly going to find any peace? So we need to close our ears. We need to close our eyes. And then we come to sit in stillness. And we're not receiving um, really any sense impressions from the world. And what's really important is to gain knowledge of our own minds. What are our minds like? What are they thinking about? Sometimes they're proliferating in a bad way. Sometimes we're laying blame on other people, thinking that this person's no good, that person's no good, they're not doing things in the right way. But we don't look at ourselves we don't ask ourselves whether we are good or not. We're not there looking at our minds. And so rather than kind of staring at the faults of other people, we should come to look at our own minds and see what our minds are like. Because sending the mind out, this is samutaya, this is the cause for suffering. But the mind which is gathered in, the mind which is there within itself, that is maga, that is the path out of suffering. This is the noble path. So we come to know, is there greed within our mind? Is there hatred? Is there delusion there? We get to know what that's like, what the mind is, is in, what state it's in. Whether there's goodness there, whether there's uh, badness there. Rather than kind of blame, laying blame on other people, finding fault with other people. Um, instead, we come to get to know ourselves. Because... In reality, there isn't a me, a self, or an other, but it's the deluded mind that takes things to be this way. 
And so when the mind is deluded, it's deluded by the sense impressions. When it's deluded by the sense impressions, then it's deluded by the world. And this is what Lumpur Chah said, that the mind that's deluded by the world, what that is, is being deluded by sense impressions. Being deluded by sense impressions means that we're deluded by the world. And this is where liking and disliking arise. This is where a sense of self arises. So we need to practice so that we become not deluded, so we can find a way out of this delusion, just like the Buddha did. So the Buddha gained this knowledge, and then he came to teach us. He came to point us the way. And he taught those beings who could be taught. So for us at the moment, we don't really know. Uh, We don't have much knowledge. But we should come to get to know our own minds. And we see what level our minds are in. Just like uh, a lotus. There are different kinds of lotuses. A lotus which is in the mud. That which has risen above the mud is in in the water. And that which is on the water's surface. And that which has risen above the water's surface. So we should get to know what level our own minds are in. And at the very least, um, what we should do is listen to the Dhamma a lot. And as we listen to more and more teachings, then we can put those into practice. So these days it's very hard to find people who can gain knowledge very quickly. Those people don't really exist anymore. And the kinds of people that we have nowadays are those who need to listen to these teachings very often. And through steadily listening to the Dhamma, then they gain knowledge. And it's like different kinds of horses. Um, There's one kind of horse that all it has to do is see its rider's whip, and it starts galloping. There's another kind of horse which it gets whipped once, and then it starts running, and it just carries on going. But there's the third kind of horse, and that is the kind in which if the rider stops whipping it, then it just stops running. So it needs to constantly be whipped in order for it to carry on going. And these are what our minds are like. Our minds need to constantly be taught. We need to always be instructing our minds, always be reminding them. And whenever we stop teaching them, then they stop going, they stop running, they stop practicing. They just won't want to develop goodness. They won't want to um, be generous, to be moral or practice meditation. Because these things, they disobey or they go against um, our feelings. And we think that if we just follow our emotions, we do what we want to do, then we'll feel at ease. But when we do that, the opposite happens. The mind becomes ill at ease, it becomes full of suffering. So when we take up this practice, what we're doing is going through suffering in the present moment. But what that suffering gives us is happiness in the future. So today it's a Lunar Observance Day, and we've come to the monastery, we've been chanting, we've taken up the precepts, we're practicing the Dhamma, we're listening to the Dhamma, we're meditating. So may the benefit and the goodness that comes from all of these activities that you're doing, may these raise your minds to a higher level. May you gain the eye of Dhamma. May you succeed in all your work. And uh, may you have 
long life, beauty, happiness, and strength. <laughs>